like I used to be an accountant, so I'm probably lucky to be more financially literate than a lot of people. But investing to me still, uh, in the back of my mind, I've always thought it's like for people who wear like, you know, shirts with a white collar and a blue. <laughs> I, my first day of accounting, I, I don't know why, I, but I wore this shirt that had a white collar, but like a blue body. And I think like the partner just looked at me and was like, "What? Are you, that's that's for me to wear. Uh, take the suspenders off right now. But I, and then I never... Oh my God, I, I'm just picturing you in the suspenders. <laughs> Hi, I'm Saran Jayamana and this is the Life Coach Podcast. What makes me qualified to be a life coach? Absolutely nothing, which is actually the only prerequisite for becoming a life coach. You know, if you're anything like me, then you probably think it's weird they don't teach financial literacy in schools. It's like, I get it, this potato conducts electricity, but how do I live? And that's why I've gathered some friendly experts from Bendigo Bank help school me and you the listener in some financy fundamentals and provide some handy practical tips along the way. Just a heads up, this episode contains general information only and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Today we're talking investing and boy do I have some questions. You know, like how much money do I need to start thinking about investing? How do I invest? Do I need one of those shirts with like the, the contrast cuffs and, and collar and, and suspenders? Why did the Wu-Tang Clan advise me to diversify my bonds? Also, what's investing? To help break it all down for me, I'm joined by Wadzani Nenzo, a finance guru with a passion for helping people understand that investing can be really easy and it's for everyone, not just wolves on Wall Street. Wadzane is a wealth consultant for Bendigo Bank with over 14 years experience in the financial services industry. She's passionate about making financial literacy more accessible and is the founder and CEO of Herconomics, a company focused on empowering women to build their personal wealth. Wadzane also more commonly goes by Wadzi, proving she's also passionate about the Australian authorised nickname standards, which dictate that every nickname ends in an E sound. As am I. You can now call me Suri. Sereni. So I thought it was best to just start at the start. And I asked Wadzi, what is investing? The best way of explaining what investing actually is, is thinking of it as your money working for you as much as possible. Um, So a good way of looking at investing is it's kind of looking at it past the bank account, right? So when it's in the bank account, you know, it's, it's in a safe space and it's making some interest, but you want to try and make it work even harder than what it can in a savings account. But there's, there's definitely people who I think investing, it feels like it's something that doesn't apply to them. They feel a bit locked out of the conversation maybe and it's very much a perception that it's not it's something for wealthy people the kind of bold confident 
macho, you yes. know, that picturing yes. that stock broke that that stockbroker investment banker. I know, but you're thinking about Wolf of Wall Street, you know. Totally, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's. I think that's exactly the problem. I guess the media or movies or TV shows or whatnot have kind of put forward this exactly this visual about the people who can invest, right? And there's a lot of misconception about about investing. And I think it's just important for people to start deprogramming those stereotypes from their minds. I, I, I reckon every three months, I think I should maybe put some like money into shares, for example. And then I'll, I'll go to look at it and sort of try to figure out what to do, be very out of my depth and just not do anything about it. I feel like I've spoken to a lot of peers and people even younger than me that have made investments and they just were strict and started early or they um, came from families where that was something that they were exposed to. So I think it's just more of a knowledge thing. Uh, I have invested. Um, not all that successfully. I got a, a tip on some shares from a friend who supposedly had these great shares that were going to go amazing. Um, I think I've purchased them at the highest price they've ever been and they're currently at probably nearly the lowest price they've ever been. But <laughs> If I'm going to be gambling, I want to, I'll, I'll, I'll bet on a footy match that's happening in five minutes. I'm not going to sit and wait around. But I find with shares, I just, I'd feel so anxious as to whether to sell or keep or and like, it'd be like, where do I start and where do I finish? I, I wouldn't know where to... Um, pull out or stay or yeah I'm a shit poker player so but I suppose that the entry to investing is is a big one um just to buy in to particular shares is is a lot of money and on the other hand for other people it's a lot of um unknown growing up as a teenager and being into punk rock I thought it was all like a bit lame and like oh you know suits and squares have stocks and shares that's a pretty good lyric actually I should start a punk band um, but I guess uh, maybe my brain's just not wired for that kind of profit-seeking. First of all, I think what would really help people is to actually do some research and find the, the very diverse amount of people in the world who are investing, people from all nationalities, people from all genders and people who are of all income streams, by the way, like so many examples of just average people who are low to middle, mid-income, who are actually starting to invest and who have grown their wealth. So it's not a matter of, first of all, who you are or how much you're earning. It's a matter of what you decide to do with that money and how consistent you are over the long term. Normally, we're working for money. But now we're making the money work for us. That's, that's, that's a good place to be. What is the why in terms of investing? The other day I like pulled a jacket out of the cupboard that I haven't worn in two years and I found 20 bucks in it. And that, <laughs> that felt to me like a win, you know? I was, that, that felt like 20 bucks that came from nowhere. What, what's wrong with just keeping my money in the bank or under the pillow or in a jacket that I, you know, just don't wear anymore? <laughs> I love it. Um, and congrats on the $20.
I mean, yeah, thank you. All right, that's a fantastic question. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of people definitely need to understand uh, about the concept of inflation. So let's say, for instance, you have $100 and you keep it under your mattress uh, today. And then in 10 years time, you know, you still have that $100, you know, under the mattress. What has actually happened is that that $100 is worth less in 10 years than it is today. And that's because of the whole concept of inflation. Wow, $100? All right, money bags. Not exactly an accessible example, but let's run with it. So on average, the prices of things tend to go up over time, which means that the same amount of money in 10 years won't be able to buy as much as it does today. Let's say, for example, 10 years ago, I had $100 and I used half of that to buy an air mattress and the other half I kept under that air mattress. And every day for 10 years, I wake up like a sausage sandwiched between two sides of an air mattress. And then I realise this thing's losing air. So I grab my $50 and I go to buy a new air mattress. But the price of air mattresses has gone up like 2% every year for the past 10 years. And now I've only got $50, but an air mattress will cost me $60. That's the cost of inflation. So as it goes up every year, you want to try and grow your money uh, more than that rate of inflation. Otherwise, what's happening is your money is getting eroded. The value of it is is actually um, being eroded with time. So inflation is the biggest reason why it's important to actually grow the value of your money with time. Okay, so we don't want the value of our money being eroded over time. Let's invest. What are the options? On the safer side, you've got things like term deposits, which are still in the banking world, but um, you can potentially earn more of an interest um, if you put it in for a specific term. And then you go past that, you go to things like um, fixed interest, which are also kind of low to medium risk. So you can put in there uh, government bonds, Australian government bonds, or you can go into um, things like shares or property. So these are the kind of the big dogs or the ones where you can actually uh, potentially in the long term make quite a, a higher return. However, of course, because uh, they have that potential for higher return, it also means that there is the potential for higher risk as well. So Wadzi is talking about the difference between defensive assets and growth assets. Defensive assets consists of more stable investments with steadier returns. For example, term deposits, where you put your money away for a predefined amount of time, for example, a year, and you gain a higher interest rate. Another example of a defensive asset is government bonds. Growth assets grow your investment over the long term. While they offer a higher return potential, they are seen as higher risk, especially over the short term. This includes things like property and shares. So basically, like to kind of sum up where we're at at the moment, um, investing is for everyone. It sure is. And you just want to use your cash to work for you, but not expose yourself to too much risk. Mm -hmm. There are options, which usually are cash related and you'll get a small return on that, but uh, you're not really at risk of losing that cash. Yeah. Um, But then at the higher end of the scale in terms of risk, is the share market. Yes. 
in the simplest terms, what is the share market? Sure. Why why does it entail more risk? What are we actually doing when we invest in the share market? Sure. When somebody says they've bought shares, what they mean is uh, part ownership of a company. So let's say um, a company that's, you know, uh, going along and then they one day they're like, you know what, we want to expand our business uh, and what we're going to do is go public. So when you hear somebody saying a company is going public, what they mean is it's a private company that's decided to list, get listed on a share market, a stock exchange. And what they will do is they will issue shares to investors. And you as an investor, what you're doing when you're buying a share is getting part ownership of the company. You know, you get to enjoy the benefits of being an owner, but you also get to uh, risk, um, you know, the downsides as well as an owner of that company. So you buy a share in a company, what does it mean for you? Well, in very simple terms, the company takes your money and uses it in its business. And in return, you now own a little part of that business. That's what makes the share market riskier than other investments. You're invested in a business. And as Tom Cruise taught us, business is risky, even if it's not a knocking shop you're operating out of your parents' house. On the upside, there's really no limit to how well a business might do. When a company performs well and makes a profit, as an owner, you'll be entitled to a share in the success. The company may choose to pay a dividend, that is, distribute the profits amongst its owners, or reinvest the profits into the business, which will likely push the share price up. The key thing is, when you decide to sell the share, you sell it for its value today. And if that's higher than what you bought it for, well, then you've made some money. But there's also a risk that it could perform poorly. It could lose money or worse, go bust. And in that case, you stand to lose everything you put into it. It's important to note that outside of a company going bust, you only realise a gain or a loss on your share investment when you decide to sell that share. So when the share price falls, it's not necessarily a cause for panic if you're taking a longer term view. Right, Wadzi? If you look at Australia in the past 100 years or, you know, 30 years, 20 years, um, the shares um, have generally outperformed all those other asset classes over the long term. If I'm younger and I'm looking to invest myself, does it make sense for young people to take more risk-seeking strategy? Fantastic question. So generally speaking, the younger you are, it means that you have more, think of it as a runway of an airport runway, right? You've got more time um, to weather any storms. The share market and a lot of investments, they can go down, they can be quite volatile short term, but they always rebound um, with time, even after a major event. So whether you're looking at the GFC or you're looking at COVID at the moment or you're looking at even the world wars, the share market always rebounds, right? So what you need is time. So when you're younger, you've got that time to ride out any ups and downs, any any huge falls. Um, so you can afford to be risky and more aggressive. And of course, as you get older and you get closer to retirement, um, generally speaking, it's recommended that you become more defensive or conservative to safeguard that growth as much as possible. All right. Any old folks listening, we're talking about personal finance here. 
Okay, it is recommended you become conservative with your money. We didn't say anything about becoming culturally conservative. Okay, so this is not carte blanche to start yelling at skateboarders. But is the notion of diversification. So um, for a lot of people, especially when you're starting out, it's highly recommended to try and diversify your investments as much as possible to try and put money into different asset classes. So the ones I mentioned already, um, but also even within each asset class, trying to put it into so many different um, you know, companies or different sectors or industries, and that will help uh, minimize the risk for your portfolio. Even if you're personally like have a, a particular aversion to risk or you're a risk seeker, Either way, you should still be, when you're thinking about investing, you should think about not putting all your eggs in one basket, basically. Definitely. That's the term because what usually happens is when something happens, whether it's COVID or any type of, um, you know, economic or social upheaval, uh, different asset classes don't always act the same or don't always move in the same way. So maybe one asset class might go down and maybe another asset class might go up. So that will help um, balance things out for you. If I'm a kind of novice investor, I don't really have the time or the knowledge to kind of in detail be picking a diversified portfolio. Are there ways that I can kind of invest in the market, but it's like I'm getting that diversification Yep, definitely. So we've got um, products like uh, exchange-traded funds. uh, If you hear ETF, that's what that is. Oh, ETF stands for exchange-traded fund. (laughs) Okay, I thought an ETF was just WTF typed wrong. So WTF's an ETF? Well, rather than trying to diversify by buying shares in lots of different companies yourself you can buy a unit in an ETF. The ETF provider owns a bunch of underlying shares, but sets up the ETF so that you as an investor can benefit from a diversified range of shares. The value of the ETF is tied to the value of the underlying shares, but you yourself are not an owner in those shares. Different ETFs will be set up to track different things. For example, an ETF might be designed to track an index like the top 200 or 500 ASX companies, or it might be designed to track a particular market or section of a market. So the ETF provider might hold investments in commodities like gold, silver and oil. Or the ETF could also track foreign markets or be industry specific. For example, you could have an ETF that is designed to track technology shares. And so you can decide whether there's a particular industry or market that you want to invest in and diversify all at the same time. In a nutshell, as an investor, if you put $500 into a tech company, you're totally exposed to the success and failures of that company. If, however, you put $500 into an ETF that tracks tech companies, you're exposed instead to the performance of all the tech companies in that ETF and insulated from the failings of any individual company. Of course, there's still risks, but in this case, the risk is spread. But it's important to remember with ETFs, you don't own any shares, and so you don't have any of the privileges of ownership, like voting rights or dividend rights. Also, it's important to note that there's a bit of work required on the part of the ETF provider in terms of setting everything up. So there may be small fees involved in owning units in an ETF.
the, the type of diversity that is in ETFs is something that is very difficult for the average Joe and Jane to replicate. You know what I mean? And, and to be honest, this is most people, by the way. Most people just don't have the time or the inclination uh, or the curiosity to choose individual companies or investments for themselves. Uh, and I think these type of products um, are really great for, uh, for a lot of people. So this is all sounding pretty good, but how do we actually invest? Investing in the share market is actually very amazingly accessible. You can actually start investing in shares with as little as $500. So first of all, the entry level amount is actually quite low compared to a pro- you know getting a property, for instance. And with the practical um, part of it is not as complicated as some people think. I mean, you need to use what's called a stockbroker. So you can't just, you know, go straight to the ASX and say, oh, I want to buy Woolies shares right now. Can you give me 10 shares? So I don't need to wear suspenders, but I need to know someone who does. <laughs> is that, is that what you're <laughs> so there's two types of stockbrokers, right? One of them is the suspenders guy who's more the full-service broker. Back in the day, yes, they're the ones you'd have thought are like Wolf of Wall Street, you know, <laughs> out there making making buys and sells for the customers. Um, in reality, they're not as exciting as that. And of course, as you can imagine, that costs more because you're get, getting that service and somebody's buying and selling for you. Or, which is the more common um, option for a lot of people, is to use what's called a discount broker or online trading platforms. What that means is you register for your account and you actually have to do the buying and selling yourself using that platform that you're provided. And it's, it's cheaper than using the full service broker. However, it means you need to do the work yourself, right? Um, I mean, a lot of the online trading platforms are not that difficult to use. They're quite simple and they also have customer service people who can help you do your first trade so that you understand how to actually do it. So those are the two options in terms of the stockbrokers um, uh, and buying and selling shares. The simplest way to start would be to actually look at your bank and see what they offer. Most of the banks in Australia or most of the major banks actually have their own online trading platform. So, for instance, Bendigo Bank um, have the Bendigo Invest Direct trading platform uh, where people can register online and um, get an account and link it with their bank account and then start investing. And also the ASX actually have a find a broker page where you can go and see the options um, for uh, online trading uh, platforms and also full service broker options that they uh, recommend as well. So, and you'll, you'll find a lot of the banks online trading platforms are there as well. So that's a really good uh, place to start. And and is there a minimum amount that I need to to start thinking about this? Yeah, that's really good. So for most uh, investment platforms in Australia, you need a minimum of $500 for a trade. So as long as you've got $500 plus whatever the brokerage fees, let's say it's um, $19, you've got $519, you can be able to place a trade, for instance. Is this a short-term game? Are we, are we going into the stock market to try to turn over a quick dollar? Are we trying to make our money work for us now or is this more a long-term thing that we're thinking about? Fantastic question. I love it. Uh, Yes, for listen, for the general investor, especially when you're starting out, your 
looking at it as a long-term uh, focus, there's different investment strategies out there. There are people who are like day traders. You know, you might have heard of day traders who are like literally trying to time the market. Yeah, so that's very speculative for most people, myself included. Um, it's more of a long-term game around whether it's the capital growth that you're going to get from that portfolio over time or whether it's dividends from share investing. Most people uh, would be more focused on choosing, you know, uh, investments that um, they're comfortable with and then just consistently growing that uh, over time and getting that capital growth and that income over the long term. So here's an invested tidbit. As of 2017, about 40% of Australian workers have no investments outside of superannuation and believe that they either didn't have enough money to invest or lacked confidence in their ability to invest wisely. Another tidbit, I should stop reading the diaries of Australian workers. You are thinking about... Two things almost. One is like what return you'll get in the short term, which is for shares might be dividends or for bonds would be your interest. The interest, yep. But then you're also balancing that with what kind of growth uh, yeah. in yeah. terms of how much that money becomes worth over yes. a longer period of time. Exactly right. Perfectly said. Say someone is... They, you know, you know, like I want to start investing, but it is intimidating to me. Um, I know that long term it's the right decision, but I still want to kind of dip my toe in the water. Are there any like platforms or yep. options available where I can start to learn about it, familiarize myself, get comfortable, and then maybe uh, ex- like expand from there? There is. Um, some really great tools out there for people who, first of all, either just want to dip their toes and not really go into more the direct style of investing, or they just don't have enough money uh, and they want to start with really small amounts. So there are tools called micro investing apps. So you've got that option of just investing in really micro amounts at the beginning, which is really great for someone who's starting out. And you can get to learn a little bit more about how the market works. You'll be able to see your investments and how they're going up and down. It's a really good um, idea to look at some of those micro investing apps as a start. Uh, They're easy to join um, and you you just have the app on your phone um, and yeah, you can start for very little amounts. So that sounds pretty good. That's like when you're just out living your life, spending money, if you have this set up, it's also investing for you. Yes, exactly. And so you, you don't have to be making choices, decisions other than just choosing what your risk profile is kind of. Yeah. But you can start to really see just how it all works. From yeah, there. exactly. It's a good way to start without spending too much money and not having to do too much. But I would also uh, put a disclaimer there for anything that you invest in. I highly recommend that you read the product disclosure statement. So these investing or micro investing apps will have a, what's called a PDS or product disclosure statement, which explains exactly what they, uh, they are, what they're offering, how much they cost, because it won't be for free. 
anything that you're going to invest in, whether it's with a micro investing app, so with the company or with anything like that, make sure you read up on um, the, the product disclosure statements uh, to make sure you know exactly what you're investing in and how much it's going to cost and what the potential risks are and so forth. You might find it interesting to know that environmental, social and governance aspects are among the top priorities for a whopping 77% of young investors. That's huge. Return on investment is only considered a priority by 10% of young investors. But where's the line between an investment and a donation? And how do we find out more about ethical investments? Yeah, so that's something that has come out, especially in the last 10 years, Ethical investing has become quite big. There's quite a lot of options out there in terms of investing ethically. Um, And you can do that using um, ethically focused managed funds, ethically focused ETFs as well um, as a beginning. But also if you're going to be investing directly in specific companies, then you've got more of a control over the exact company that you're going to invest in as well. So there's options. Uh, Go on Google and say Ethical Investing Australia. There's different organizations which are focused on um, highlighting all the ethical uh, options out there. So don't stop yourself from investing because you think that every investing is going to be against your ethics. But again, it's important to read the PDS and understand everyone's description. Exactly, yeah. because um, your description of what what's ethical might be different from what this um, you know managed fund or this organization what their definition is. So always read the product disclosure statement and gain clarity as to if it's a managed fund, what percentage is truly going to be invested in ethical um, focuses. Okay, so I can hear you shouting at your speaker or or headphones. The world is crazy right now. Unprecedented times, Saran. Recession, Wadsy. Is this really the time for this? I actually think a time like this is a fantastic time to start investing or at least to start thinking about investing. Yes, it's uncertain, but if you've got a long-term focus then that shouldn't matter. Um, I'm not a big fan of trying to time the market of, oh, I want to invest now or invest when things are more clear or certain because ultimately that's time you never get back, time that your money could have been growing. I think just like any any other time, I think there's plenty of options out there right now for people who want to invest. I feel a lot more comfortable after this chat that this is for everyone. Investing is something that people should be thinking about, yeah. even if they don't necessarily have the money right now, yeah. whatever their circumstances, yeah. uh, you can start thinking about it now. Exactly. And the earlier you start, the better. Starting today is always better than starting next year. Please don't even you know, wait for perfection. Um, I did that myself for a long time where I was waiting to understand nearly every single thing you can understand before actually investing in direct shares, but you don't have to do that. Of course, educate yourself, but you don't have to understand every single thing. Your last words, why do you believe investing is for everyone? I think a lot of people, they limit themselves around the type of life that they can live. They limit themselves in terms of the type of legacy that they can live for themselves, their community and their loved ones. And investing allows 
anyone to actually create a lasting legacy, whether it's money that will go to loved ones or money that will go into the community. It makes a big difference in people's lives. And I think people should invest. At the end of the day, investing is all about taking the money that you work so hard to earn and making it work for you. What does that mean practically? Well, when it comes to thinking about the long term, just saving money for the future might not be enough. Sure, putting aside 30 cents today means you'll have 30 cents tomorrow. But let's not forget what happened to the 30 cent cone. They upped the price to 70 cents and they changed the name to soft serve cone. In the simplest terms, investing means taking some of your hard-earned and giving it to someone who's got a use for it now and is willing to pay you a return for the privilege. It doesn't matter if you're someone who is happy to take a bigger risk to earn a bigger reward or someone who prefers the lower payoff that comes with peace of mind. There'll be an investment strategy that's for you. But whatever it is, the more time you give yourself to grow your money, the better off you're going to be. For most of us, investing won't be about trying to time the market or make a quick buck. It really is just literally investing in our own future. And the best way to do that is to start thinking about investing today. The evidence shows there's going to be bumps, but if you spread your risk and you stay in it for the long term, you stand a good chance to come out on top. Practically, starting today is as simple as starting to educate yourself about options. Use online tools like the ASX or MoneySmart and find someone to talk to you about your situation like a financial advisor. Don't forget micro-investing tools as well. They're a smart option while you're starting to learn and figure out what your longer-term goals are. This is just a little fun one. What If, if you only had $20 left, say you found it in a jacket pocket, for instance, <laughs> what would you invest your last $20 in? I know it's not Bitcoin or Amazon. Ah, $20. If it's just $20, it would go, it would, it would probably go, to be honest, in like an ETF because it would be $20 spread out on many different things. This is now more just a question for me. Would you like to invest in my pyramid scheme? (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Okay. Wow. I thought we'd bonded over the last hour. So huge thank you to Wadsey and all of our contributors. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Bendigo Bank Official or tweet us at Bendigo Bank. Feel free to check out all our other great episodes, like our episode on how to actually buy a house. Give me a home amongst the avo trees. A quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the relevant individual and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Bendigo and Adelaide Bank Group. The information contained is current as at November 2020 and is subject to change without notice. Before making any investment or financial decision, you should seek independent advice and read the appropriate disclosure documents. This podcast was created for Bendigo Bank by Subversus and written and produced by Tanya Barbic, Jason Sukadana and me, Saren Jayamana. Also produced by Holly Jane and junior produced and researched by Tom Atkinson. All recording and post-production by Versus Studio.